Hi, welcome to the Power for Good podcast. I'm your host, Christina Ray Almeida, entrepreneur, environmental advocate, somatic healer, life coach, and really just a grateful part of this beautiful planet. I'm also a former alcoholic and addict, and I'm here to ask some really hard questions while diving deep and discovering how influential people are using their power for good or not. What happens when someone goes through an awakening? Can people really change? How and why? Let's explore. Hello, and welcome back to the Power for Good podcast. Today's guest is a friend and mentor of mine, Moon Di Simone. Moon Di Simone is a spiritual mentor, meditation guide, and artist. She's a devoted Tibetan Buddhist practitioner trained in contemplative psychotherapy, known for her big sister's warmth and real talk style. She's everyone's spiritual godmother. Her profound and practical methods were created by integrating her lived experience from immigrant house cleaner to modeling photo editor in New York City with extended time in retreats in India, Nepal, Thailand, and Indonesia. Moon has studied with esteemed masters like His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, and many more. She's known for her renowned practice club group programs where connection, compassion, and play make up the home for healing and expression. Dedicated to helping people forgive, feel at home in their bodies, and have agency in their own lives through classic wisdom teachings made modern, combined with trauma-informed somatic techniques. She mentors clients privately, teaches retreats internationally, and leads group programs. She just returned from a three-month Vajrasafa retreat in Nepal filled with inspiration to share, and I'm so excited to welcome this powerful woman to our show. Let's jump in. Welcome, Moon. Hi, my love. Thank you. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining me. I'm so happy to be here with you today. Me too. I'm excited. So I want to start with our first powerful question, which is Mm. how are you using your power for good? Mm. I love that this is the name of your podcast and this is such a good way to just get things started. I feel like I am using my power for good with the work that I'm doing with, you know, service that I'm doing with the mentorship and the one-on-one and meditations and all. And I also feel that on a more subtle, relational, and day-to-day aspect of using my power for good is that I am doing my very best to remember that as the opportunity, everything that happens is an opportunity to practice, that I can actually use my power, my wisdom for something beneficial, for something that would actually support my healing. So it's interesting because when I first heard the name of your podcast, that's what I was thinking. I was just like, okay, we know the big things. And then the day-to-day, which you know makes up the big things, I, I thought about that. Because it's it's easy, I think, sometimes to just stay focused on the big picture, right? Which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find that some uh, there were times in the past that I was so focused on the big picture that I forgot that every little moment of the day is what's making up that, you know, big picture. So I think that that, that is how I'm using my power for good right now and always finding ways to stretch, you know, I I, I, I'm looking at ways that sometimes I get comfortable, not only in my work, but in my practice, in my relationships. So I'm bringing that to 
to the table as well. How am I using my power to stretch, you know, every part of me, all my thoughts, beliefs, and, and even the patterns that I still see in my life. So yeah, and always finding new ways to support those, you know, that have different kinds of suffering that are in different situations that I am. So I think that there's always ways to expand and create with that. I love that answer. <laughs> I love that what you said too, that every day makes a difference as well in every choice. And I think it's easy for us to focus on how are we on the grand scheme or our careers or our big choices using our power. We think of this big word, you know, empowered, but it is actually the little things as well. You know, what are the little choices, the little powerful decisions, moments that lead to us all of a sudden feeling empowered all of a sudden on this powerful mission, but it's, it's every breath, it's every moment. It's Mm -hmm. waking up and doing this little thing for yourself or being kind to someone that is actually very powerful. Yeah. And I think it's easy sometimes when we're too focused on, on the doing of going and the big things that we miss, but every little thing, like you said, even the reminder to take a, take a breath or make a choice, it's impacting that big picture. So yeah, I'm, I'm focusing on the, on the baby steps a little more nowadays. I think there's a level of, of maturity in my practice that has helped me to, to come back and appreciate and be a little more present, which mm-hmm. it wasn't always like this for sure. And that's another premise of the creation of this show, which is we're on this powerful mission, many of us now. And I, from my experience, I did not always use my power for good. <laughs> I think I've always been an influential person, but I didn't always use that influence or that power for good. And so I find it really fascinating to see how we have changed and how we evolve and how we can go through these big transformations in our life and go from, you know, maybe using our power in a not so good way to then doing this, being, becoming people who want to help the planet, help other people. So that brings me to my next question, which is how do you go from being, um, I know you were a world traveler model on the show. And how do you go from, from that and, uh, being this world of glam to wanting to help people? When was the shift for you? Mm, Yeah. Well, the shift happened when I, I mean, it began, right? I started to notice that I had quote unquote, all the things that I was taught growing up or that I saw around me that should really be making me happy. You know, I had a great partner and I was living in New York city. I had shifted from modeling to acting and it was like, taking great auditions and living in this great apartment, making good money, you know, and like had quote unquote good friends. And I would still lay in bed and feel like something is missing and I couldn't figure out what it was. And I was still, you know, using and drinking and just finding ways to cope and distract because I didn't have a spiritual practice and I didn't have any level of introspection to check in and see what is really going on. And I started to to notice, I'm like, okay, there has to be something. But again, it's easier, right, to to disassociate and to distract and to numb and to just stay busy, which I did for a long time. And really, the big turning point was when Sa came back from his first pilgrimage to India and ended up staying with me and my partner at the time. And I noticed instantly that something had shifted in him. And it was a perfect mirror because I've known him essentially my whole life. Um, we're incredibly close and I had seen him through some very dark moments. And then he goes to India for six weeks and comes back with a whole new way of seeing himself in the world. And I was like, what did you find? Like, I was literally like, what did you take? What did you find? Like what happened there? (laughs) Because it was, 
it was really, it was quite shocking actually, you know, to see someone that was always there, had so much energy and uh, was a little bit, you know, struggling with different things. And then I'm not saying the six weeks solved everything, but there was definitely a lot more stillness, a lot more space, a lot more peace in his energy and in his presence from the simple things as like pausing to pray for the food and, you know, say gratitude and he had a practice. And because he came to stay with us, it was a huge turning point because then it was the mirror and the pushing the buttons that I didn't even know I, you know, pushing to triggers that I didn't even know I was hiding. And, you know, just his presence started to challenge what I was doing with my own life. And long story short, he was like, I'm going back to India. And actually he was going back to Nepal first. And I was like, okay. And just that little seed, he's like, maybe you should do a 10 day course, but didn't really push or say anything. But he sat with me, you know, because I, then I started to meditate. I started to listen to Ramdas, and I was like, okay, so maybe these questions that I have that I couldn't find answers, that I was just, you know, pretending that I just kept pushing them to the back of my mind. I was thinking, all right, perhaps there is a way, right? Perhaps there is, there really is something else out there that is not here, and that's really what propelled me to, you know end the relationship, save money, move out of my apartment, put everything in storage and just get a one-way ticket to India. And how I usually say is that I don't, I didn't really know what to expect at all. I just knew, oh, I'm going to study in Bodh Gaya where the Buddha became in line. I'm going to do this 10-day introduction course, but that's all I knew. What really, you know, essentially lit up the spire on my ass was that I was really over my life. And having started there showed me that there could be another way and that was really what pushed me was that I just didn't want what I, what was happening anymore. I was like, whatever it is out there on the other side of the world, it's something at least different from this. You know, I, I feel like I was just tired of feeling complacent and lazy and stagnant and just really unhappy. You know, I had battled with disordered eating and anxiety and anger for so many years. I believed that that's who I was. And then there shows up my brother who had his own struggles, but then began to experience different things and a new way of, of, you know, there was healing taking place. And I said, okay, well, so if there's a way for him, there must be a way for me too. And so that's really what just drove me to, to make this change. And I remember getting there and thinking, it feels like I'm in a dream that I'm going to wake up and I'm going to go back to that old life because everything was so different. But really was all that I was really looking for. You know, even studying Buddhism wasn't very difficult for me to understand. You know, of course, there's some big concepts that I'm still digesting eight years later, but it's not like there was a lot of, not a lot of resistance in my body to receive the teachings and to hear the wisdom, which, you know, my teachers have said that it makes sense that I arrived and I was ready. You know, there was so much of me really looking for new answers and I began to find them and of course found way a lot more questions as well, but I, I found a sense of, you know, my love, I found a sense of what's the word I'm looking for. It's, it's friendship in a sense, but I thought, yeah, I think I found a sense of friendship that I began to have with myself because there was so much honesty that I had not, you know, taken place for a very long time. You know, there's so much of me pretending and lying and wearing masks. And when I get there, no one cares what I've done, who I was, the shows, the glam, the fame, the money, like you're just another person, just like everyone else. And that was really humbling. And also I started to realize that I was like, who I thought I was really wasn't the true me, which was challenging. But at the same time, answered a lot of the reasons why I was still feeling so empty 
having all the things that I thought were quote unquote, make me happy, you know? Hmm. Wow. Just dropped so much wisdom. Oh, you just need to digest. Take a yeah, breath like, for a minute. A long <sighs> No, it was so much, so much wisdom. So beautiful. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you. Yeah. The two words that are sticking out to me there is mirrors and masks. Mm. And I find it so beautiful because I think when we do the work, you know, like Saw went, he was then able to become a mirror for you. And, and to create that space for you to maybe feel a little uncomfortable, but then to feel inspired as well to go do the work for yourself because he had created, as you said, the relationship had begun the journey of creating a deeper relationship with himself to take off the mask himself, which is then what you went on to do as well, which as we've talked about before, you know, I am a person that has worn so many masks in my life. So I love this topic of the masks and the mirrors and have being now almost two years sober. I feel like I'm a constant mirror for people, especially with, you know, my family that, that still drinks and friends, a lot of friends who still drink that oftentimes they feel very uncomfortable, you know, and when you do the work, even if it's not getting sober, it's just being in a different state that people feel constantly a little bit uncomfortable around you when you are in this deeper relationship with yourself. And it's kind of interesting to see that, but also really beautiful. Yeah. I love that. Those are the two things that stood out for your mirrors <laughs> and masks. And it's true. You know, he planted mirrors. He really not planted, but he showed up as mirrors to the masks that I had been wearing for such a long time that it's almost like I forget, I forgot that I had them, but because he was, you know, showing up as a mirror to me, but also he was showing up as a different way that I was like, Oh, there is a way to actually remove this mask. You know? And I think, like you said, it is triggering for people, you know, and it is. And that's what began to happen. I felt very triggered at first. I was just like, really wanted to kick him out. I was like, because it was a lot, you know, started to bring up a lot that I was like, Oh fuck, I have to look at myself now. Right. Cause it was so easy to blame everything and everyone. And then it got to a point that was like, no, it was just about me and myself, which is extremely humbling and also very, very uncomfortable. Yeah. And you mentioned that you had struggled with an eating disorder. How did you overcome this or how, how did developing this deeper relationship with yourself and taking off the mask, how did that help you with your relationship with yourself with your eating disorder i really believe it, it, it came from a place that i could actually stand myself in the beginning i was like okay i can be okay with this with what i was seeing in the mirror you know because of the practice because of you know building a friendship with myself there was less and less space for the constant self-judgment that was playing you know so and then the stories of the judge was just like you need to look like that it's not enough this the constant comparing the constant you know, thinking that who I am and what I am is not enough or not good enough because of the way that I look. And I mean, it took many years, especially in the first few years that I started to practice yoga, that I had to really inhabit this body. I had to look at it. And I began to find so much strength and beauty that wasn't on, again, based on the masks and the standards that I was operating from for so many years from the modeling world. And it wasn't like overnight, but I had more within me to work against essentially this like inner dialogue that would play out of like not enough. And obviously also I stopped modeling. So the, the, the patterns of like eating, not eating, taking pills and not, you know, just 
the, the difference. I mean, I, I essentially tried all the ways in which I could to stay skinny or, or lose weight. And I started to think, okay, well, if I'm going to really go onto this path of being there for myself, I had to develop a relationship that I could actually take care of my body. And that was very hard, you know, because I didn't know what it was like to actually take care of my body. And I did a lot of mirror meditation, you know, for, for, I, I think I did one day, one time, I did like a 90 day challenge, which was very difficult, but he began to break, I began to essentially break through the masks and those self judgments that would always just keep me at, this is not enough, too fat, to this or whatever. And I, if I could just stay with myself through those thoughts, I could, I essentially started to see them soften and and dissipate. Really, I was just like, it's almost like, oh, here's so so much hardness. But if I can just stay through that discomfort, the hardness begin to fell fell apart. And he came along with like compassion practice, you know, and a lot of training my mind because the thoughts come and go. Definitely nowhere, barely here now, honestly. But for the first like three, four years of my practice, they would still come and visit, but I had a lot more strength within myself to ask, is this actually true? Is this really what I still believe now? Or this has been a belief that has driven myself, my life, and this behavior for so many years. And it was really scary at first because I had I had associated myself with that person, right? I believed that that's who I was and I was going to believe those things my entire life. I actually just had this conversation with a friend, I think on Thursday, um, then my weight still fluctuates, but still there's, there's a whole new way of actually appreciating the changes that are ever evolving, you know, and I'm no longer putting myself through those crazy, insane diets because they don't actually do anything. I can eat intuitively and eat what I want now, but there is again, a relationship with the food. There's a practice, there's patience, there's kindness. And I, I don't have to hide so much, you know, I think the disordered eating what influenced was like I, I had to hide so many parts of me, not only physically, but emotionally and, mm-hmm. and mentally as well. And he helps and, and he does change, you know, because there is a way to, to truly be with that discomfort and watch it and watch it fall apart. I think so many of us are scared of that discomfort. So we stay at the door of that and then we just fall, believe and run away with the judgment or with the behavior like the eating disorder. But there is a way to work with it you know it's not easy by any means like as we've said you know if this was easy the world would be a totally different place um i just know that it is possible because i have seen the shift in my mind and how i look at other women's bodies because it was like a constant judgment a constant comparison and now i can actually appreciate different bodies different shapes different colors and want nothing more than what i'm inhabiting you know and that is totally radical i never thought that i could just wake up and be like this is okay we're good, you know, and it feels revolutionary, truly. And I mean, it's been a long journey and I'm just speaking to this because, you know, I know we've talked about this before and I think many, many women have, 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 you know, suffered from the same pattern at some point in their lives as well. So it's important to know that there is a way through. Yes, there's definitely a way through and we have talked about it before and I've struggled with it and it's a journey, as you said. You know, and so it's important to know that too. There's practices and what what is a mirror med- meditation actually? You know, there's several, but one of them will be um, to stand in front of the mirror and you can stand, you can do like, you can start how I, I did. I just started with like a small mirror or like the, the sink mirror, just looking at my face instead of like when I'm brushing my teeth, instead of just 
trying to rush through it. I could be there present. But then mm-hmm. beyond when I'm there, just doing the things, I would stand in front of the mirror, beginning with like one minute, three minutes, five minutes, all the way up to 10 minutes. And just be with that, be with what's there. And then start to add affirmations and mantras such as, you know, I'm enough. I accept what I see. I accept myself. I love myself. And there's more details depending on like where you're going. But the beautiful evolution is to bring it into like being able to actually stand in front of the mirror naked and get through the separation of like fat, skinny, too much, too little, satellite, this, cars, and just see that it's the vessel, right? It's this like, it's the the site that we get to inhabit, that everything that we really want has to happen through this body. You know, I, I remember when I first started practicing, I was like, oh, okay, great. I'm going to tr- transcend this body and I'm leaving the body. It's not about the body. And that's one extreme of this spiritual practice. But we are can only do the actual spiritual practice by inhabiting this body fully. And I think that that's the middle way of not over-identifying or believing the stories, but, you know, through the mirror meditation, being able to stay there and actually recognize that it's always changing, right? And it is the vessel in which we can realize our potential and actually be of service and do really good work in the world. It is through this body. That's so powerful. I think the mirror work and so many times I think it's it's been an ongoing practice of mine to develop really what's going on internally when I see myself naked in the mirror and even just looking at my face, you know, it's hard constantly comparing, especially in this world of social media, you know, what are we comparing ourselves to in a practice? I think of mine that has been interesting is really looking at art that has mm. been, and like, particularly like, you know, Greek and, and Roman, like goddesses and, and bodies that I think are really much more natural and beautiful. And it has actually helped me really see that my form, you know, our forms as women, it's, it used to be worshiped, you know, it is not these dieted skinny bodies. It's the, the goddess form is our bodies, our natural bodies. When you are in this intuitive flow and eating, it's yeah, so I try to see myself as a Greek goddess statue now rather than <laughs> just I love that a little fats on my body. Yeah. What a great practice. I love that. Yeah. So how does Buddhism support your work today and mm-hmm. your life after having all these practices and these studies? Buddhism is still the foundation for me. It's like it is the ground of the home that I that I'm continuing to rebuild, you know, my inner home and how I share everything. Of course, I've been practicing and studying for almost eight years now and I eight years now and I have, you know, tried so many different things and experienced different practices. And at the same time, Buddhism is still the foundation because for me it has been the doorway to not only be able to understand, to study and to befriend my mind, befriend my beliefs, my thoughts, and also uncover this wisdom that we're talking about that lives at the core of all of us. And the reason why, you know, I'm obviously I'm extremely biased because it is my lineage, it is my practice. I, you know, I've taken my vows and everything, but there's a sense that I haven't found anywhere else that gives us. And I'm not saying that it's not there, but I haven't really studied that many because I found one that really works and has supported me. And the reason why I find Buddhism to be so revolutionary is because it's not telling us to worship someone way out there. You know, of course, there is the Buddha. But, you know, you take refuge in the Buddha, but not the historical Buddha that came around 20, almost 2,600 years ago. It is really finding the refuge and that sense of reliance and trust in 
our very own Buddha nature that exists within every single being and that everyone has this potential to start again. Everyone has this potential to be forgivable and to be redeemable. I had never heard those things before ever in my life. You know, I grew up Catholic in Brazil. It's like, you make a mistake, you're bad. You know, you cheat, you're a cheater. You lie, you are a liar. And in Buddhism, it's not. Those are your tendencies. Those are your actions. So who you are at your core is kind, loving, wise, and filled with potential. And of course, it's tough for some people to hear this because there's so much harm in the world and there's so many people causing so much suffering. But I try to see from a place that they have been doing those actions for so long that they began to believe that that's who they really are. But if you were to stop, you know, if you were at a sane, calm, easeful, intentional space, everyone knows, everyone could realize that potential. Of course, it takes so much work because it's deeply hidden underneath all the mud, you know, all the the lies and the greed and the and the habituated conditioning that we have. But I love to just believe that there is this potential. You know, it really does soften my 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 rage with the world. <laughs> that sometimes <laughs> I feel like there's so much suffering and there's so much harm. And then I remember, yes, and there's still so much potential as well. And that's how we're still here. And I love to find ways to to translate this incredible, sometimes very traditional teachings in ways that land and can be approachable and, and relatable for people like you and I, you know, women, independent, living in the modern world. They are housed, you know, as, as in Buddhism, it's like we are, we live in the world, but we are trying not to be of the world, but we're not going to be nuns and monks right now, at least, you know, but there's a way to um, integrate the practices. And yeah, I find that it just, there is a way to, there's no cutting corners, you know, it's, there is a way to really get to know yourself, unlike anything else that I've ever tried. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's beautiful that you found something that really, you know, and I resonate a lot with, with Buddhism as well and the teachings and I, I know you recently stayed in, in, had a three month stay in Nepal. How has this furthered your practice? Can you tell us a little bit about that as well, actually? Yeah. I love that you said a three-month stay. Yeah, I had a three-month stay <laughs> at a monastery. I had a three-month stay at a monastery, practicing every day for eight hours. Yeah, I did a three-month retreat as part not of... Not so much a staycation. <laughs> no, not so much a staycation. Definitely a little more, a little more strict and, 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 and structured, which is, is always so beneficial. So... You know, as part of uh, as part of my lineage and my path of studies, there's about ten preliminary practices, and this is one of them. So it's a three month purification retreat that you do the same exact practice every day, four times a day. There's a few different tweaks between the the practices within the one day, but you practice for ninety days. There's no days off, and you're practicing for eight hours a day. So it's something very. Some people are like, "Oh my God, that's so much!" Yes. And, you know, I was, had the honor and the privilege to be able to take three time, three months off of my life of no work, of nothing else, but just to practice. And it was the most, one of the most challenging experiences of my life because I got to really, really look at myself. You know, there wasn't mm -hmm. anything else that I had to do besides practice and get to know what the fuck is happening in this inner world that, you know, I could then translate to creating the life that I really want. And it was very challenging because 
it was extremely humbling because I arrived there thinking, oh, I've been meditating for almost eight years. I'm a Buddhist, <laughs> this and this and that, you know, feeling really righteous, which is such a wonderful thing to look at. And it's like, oh, wow, I, I'm still very, you know, devoted practitioner. And at the same time, there's still so much to learn. There's still so much to uncover and unravel. And it was profound because this idea that I mentioned that we're all forgivable and redeemable was the premise of, of the retreat. You know, it was a purification retreat. It was a retreat where we get to redefine what regret means to us. Because from a Buddhist perspective, regret is actually a very powerful, insightful, intentional way of, of looking at your life and looking at your past and changing your relationship with that. Because in Buddhism, it's said that the ways in which we create our lives are based on the intentions behind our actions and how we hold on to past experiences. So obviously we can't change what happened in the past, but what we can change is how we relate with it. So that's the premise of, of the retreat was that we had to generate regret, you know, think back about things we have said, that we have done and that we have thought that we choose not to do it again, that we experience regret from a place of, I know it was harmful that I thought this thing or that I said that thing or that I acted in that way. I can't rewind the tape, obviously, but what I can do and what was asked of us was to change our relationship with that and then practice. And it is the most compassionate experience that I've ever had in my life because every day we stretch and you bring the most hurtful things that you've said to yourself, the most hurtful things that I have done and I have cheated and I have lied and I have hurt people and I have hurt myself physically with my thoughts and my speech. And I was still, I could still feel held by the practice and the teachings. And that was completely revolutionary to, to be at a place that everything can be forgivable and the core of who we are is never actually faced by anything that we have done. So you were doing, you're doing all of that while you were chanting the mantra? You do. Well, there's like a, the, the first part is that you're reading all this, um, the text. And then you generate regrets and then you chant the mantra. And while you're chanting the mantra, you're visualizing yourself being purified and cleansed, okay. which is, you know, part of the, the visualization. And then at the end, you dedicate, you know, the merits of your practice, all the goodness, and visualize that being of benefit to all beings everywhere. And yeah, we ended up, you know, part of the completion that I almost forgot that you reminded me was that we had to chant 100,000 times the yeah. same hundred syllable mantra. <laughs> it's like just a little thing that I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I had the honor of chanting the mantra with you actually at Saw's yeah. retreat. And even just, I don't remember how many times we did it, but in that group was really powerful. Yeah. I remember just feeling, just feeling it in my body. And it was really surprising to me uh, to feel that, you know, just a little bit of energetic lit up kind of goosebumps I don't really know how to even name it, you know, the feeling. So I can imagine a hundred thousand times, you know, that must yeah. feel powerful. So what, what do you, how do you explain the power of mantra? I love that you said, I don't even have words for it because I feel that that's really what happens when we really go so deep into practices in this way, because it is beyond our intellect, right? It is beyond what we have thought, said, and done in the past. Therefore, a lot of us don't actually have words for it, which is when you know that there's it's touching real deep places within yourself. And that's what happened during retreat. I'd be crying, desperately crying, or having this outburst of laughter, or feeling the, the range of emotions that I experienced 
was anything unlike anything I had ever experienced before. And the power of mantra, like there's, there's a few ways to look at it. Not only is it the power of repetition, right? Because our mind thinks in thoughts, we, we keep memories and thoughts, everything we see, we're observing our thoughts that our minds are thinking made up of words. So if you look at mantras, you're repeating a certain kind certain, you know, specific kinds of words that have a meaning. So one, one thing is that you're saying these specifically powerful words and you're repeating them because it's a way to repeat, to habituate and to change the way you think and the way that you see yourself in the world. And the other aspect is that the way in which the sound and the way that your tongue moves and your mouth moves has a specific impact in how it really impacts your nervous system. And that's why you feel something happening. Physiologically, things are happening in your body. Because, you know, we've all experienced things when you say unkind things to yourself, you feel a certain way, right? Mm -hmm. And when you say something beautiful and kind and loving to yourself or others, you also feel a certain kind of way. So it's the same exact thing. If I were to look at you and say, I love you, thank you, bless you, may you be happy, I feel good. And then you feel good, but it's not like, oh, you feel good, but it's simply because those happy hormones are being released and our nervous system is balancing. So on a more physiological aspect, it is incredibly healing. And it's also a powerful way to create a break between the overthinking thoughts that never really stop in our mind. And we can orient our attention to something so powerful, so kind and so transformative. Changes do happen. It's almost like the one of my teachers Palmo said that there's a way to create new super highways in your mind instead of the thoughts always going to one place or your attention always going to that negativity bias so it's not working. There's a way to create new super highways in which you can then begin to rely on and trust on. They're coming from that place of deep intention and motivation to be of benefit to yourself and others. Because something else that's also so profound, not only about the mantra practice, but about Every Buddhist practice is that it is all about the motivation, you know, because that's how mm. we, that's, that's the impact that every one of our actions will have. So it's, why are you doing it? You know, why are you doing this? Why are you saying that? That's what's really essentially coming back for you. Don't go on very like practical terms, but that's the consequence of everything that we do is in the motivation and the intention that it carries that action. When you sit there and you're doing this mantra before you even begin, the motivation is, you know, may I become enlightened for the benefit of all beings? Or may I just realize more of my Buddha nature so that I can help one person? Or it really does encompass a, a, a way that I am impacting you and you're impacting me always, you know, that we're so yeah. deeply interconnected. Oh, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I know it, it, it happens. It happens every time. I'm like, it's, it's a small question, but I just go and I'm like, where did you go? Oh, so Anyways, beautiful. You Thank you so much for sharing. Yeah. yeah. I, I know the power you of words. I do. Yeah. The power of words. Yeah. Changing gears a little. Mm -hmm. I know you specialize in moderating conflicts in the family as well as building bridges how did your experience with your family help facilitate this i would say that the experience with my family is how i realized that i was good at that <laughs> so i think it's almost like the other way around i was unintentionally found myself in those situations from a very very early age and i kept you know i mean from a, from a more from a more psychological aspect i think i became an adult very early you know my mom my parents worked a lot and my mom actually lost her mom when she was 10 
I think there was a sense of like, I'm her first and only daughter. There was a level of like mother daughter kind of like exchange relations and, and, and patterns. But now looking back, I see that I became an adult, not only because I was the oldest, but I also had these tendencies to be able to talk to everyone and build the bridges in the family when there were challenges or, or arguments happening, which there were a lot, you know, we were very happy and united, but there were challenges and arguments. And I think it's, you know, at times felt like a little extra, but I, I remember being, I think I was like, I want to say like 12 years old or something. And then I witnessed uh, my parents have an argument and I just instantly thought, what can I do? You know, like, where are the boys? What am I going to do? And I remember going to talk to my mom and saying things like, it's going to be okay. Or like, you know, I don't remember the exact words, but there was a part of me thinking I have a way to help or I have to help. And with that, of course, I began to find the ways to do that. And as the, as the years went on, I became this person, you know, at times where some of my brothers were not having a very pleasant time with one of my parents, I'll be the one to, you know, translate or build the bridges and communicate. And somehow within me, I, 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 I just always felt that there's a way to find a way to communicate. I didn't feel like, oh, mm-hmm. it's over, you know, and I think that this came from my mom very strongly because. She never wanted us to be mad at each other for a very long. She always essentially planted the seed of find a way to talk, find a way to get through this, which did support us. And now looking back, it makes total sense that this is the work that I do, you know, and this is how I support people in relating with themselves, the different parts of themselves and in their own relationships. And since beginning this practice, my relationship with them has transformed because I've been able to really reflect more truth to them and also take the space of there is a way for us to really heal some wounds and emotional patterns that we've had for a very long time and it's definitely not easy you know I don't think that there is a there's anything easy about any practice and I also feel that like family romantic relationships it's like real high karma you know the curriculum that it's not for everyone also, you know, I, I'm blessed and, and grateful that they are willing to do the work together. Um, and now it's very doable, but there was a lot of times that I would say, okay, this is it. There's no way, because it's very hard, you know, to look at your parents and to look yeah. at your siblings and, and actually it's a lot of mirrors, a lot of mirrors, a lot of mirrors, exactly. <laughs> a lot. Precisely. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, when we start to do the work too, it's, it's hard because there's a moment where you feel like sort of shutting off to that old part of you. And sometimes that part of you can be your family and your old friends and and that life. And you have to sort of make a decision of, am I going to totally just go the other way or, you know, how, how do I communicate with like that other part of my, my life still, you know, that is a big mirror, that is a, a trigger, you know? And, and I think perhaps in the beginning, sometimes there is an extreme where you have to sort of create these boundaries, but I think that it is healthy at a certain point to come back and to build a bridge to communicate. And, and then that's when you can become the mirror as well <laughs> and, and even help, you know, yeah. your, yeah family or not necessarily help, you know, but be there for them, love. And ultimately it benefits you as as well. Yeah. You said something so beautifully and it is true. It is. I think that in the beginning you have to begin to 
to, you have to be very discerning with how much time and space you do need. And I, I love, I sometimes really dislike the idea of boundaries, but I know that you and I know that the, it's, a, it's a flexible boundary that's always moving with you in your practice, you know, because something that worked for you five years ago, two years ago, may not be the same now. That's why there's that sense of constant introspection to check. And, you know, I've had times that there was a lot less communication with members of my family because I did need space. Mm-hmm. And there are other times that it's no longer the case. So I think that that, again, comes from you being willing and able to take care of yourself and be present for the situation and always hold that sense of trust or, or hope, really, that there is a way for everyone, you know? And, and it's, it's, a, it's a really beautiful paradox of, like, seeing people for who they are and always holding them for their potential. But we can't go to either extreme because then there's no point and, and we, we rob people of their potential. So it's a very fine line to dance, especially with families. I think it's a, it's a, one of the most profound levels of spiritual practice is really with your family. I agree. And it takes time. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So our last question, when in your life have you experienced what you would call an awakening? Mm. So there's two things that come to mind. It's quite, they're quite opposite, but I think it's, it's, it'll be interesting to share because I think some people think that, you know, awakenings are like you're at the top of the mountain and then you're taking meditation <laughs> and then ah, you feel like yeah. your, your body of light or whatever, whatever. Struck by a lightning bolt. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And then, you know, all of that and you feel like you can float, which, which is true. You know, there's, there's layers of that. Um, I think that one very powerful experience that I had was actually in that very first 10 day retreat it was towards the, I think it was the, the last or the day before last that um, we were doing this death meditation and I was just, I was a wreck. I was just crying and bawling and bawling and just having, thinking like everyone is dying because you, you are, you know, you're literally visualizing everyone that you love, they're dying. So you can really experience what that will be like. And it also um, gives us the space to appreciate still being alive, you know, I mean, that's a whole other topic, why death meditations are so powerful. But that specific day, something happened that I, I thought that just the simple thought of visualizing my loved ones dying, I thought it would be unbearable. You know, I, I thought that I would actually lose control or lose it. And I remember just having a moment that I stayed in the gompa, which is the room that, that we practiced. And I just stayed there crying and crying and crying. Then the second, the next session started and I was still sitting there. And then my teacher just came and placed her hand on my shoulder and just, it was like a very simple thing that she said, just stay. You know, she just said, like, stay. She didn't say, you're okay. She didn't say, get out. She just said, stay. You know, as in like, continue. It was one of the most most profound experiences because it was in the moment that I said, okay, not only someone trusts me and sees something in me in this most raw, vulnerable, vulnerable, broken place that I was, I felt like there was no way, but I could, and I did, right? And I stayed and I was like, oh, and there was a sense of something cracked. I feel like there was like doors on my heart that I felt unable to go forward or unworthy or or not enough. And I just felt like some of those beliefs, those protections, those self-protective mechanisms that had been there for so long began to crack. 
And I did feel the sense of lightness. You know, it almost was like, oh, did I just lose 20 pounds? You know, but I'm still there sitting the same way that I had been for the last two hours. And I just began to, it did feel like there was a, there was a, this heavy filter that has been in my vision. Something did change. It's almost, it, I, it's hard to kind of put into words, but I know that you get what I mean. I began to see things from a place of there's a little more tender. There's a little more potential in everything. I used to be extremely skeptical and a, a, a terrible critic of everything, you know, and I, and, you know, living in New York in the fashion world, it's almost like it's part of the culture and the fabric to just talk shit and, and be a cunt and be nasty and be negative and to watch myself no longer have those tendencies through those meditations. It's like, I imagine so many of my full family members dying. And I, and now looking back, I understand that I was also imagining those tendencies and those beliefs also dying with that and me being able to actually be more tender and, and loving with these parts of me that deep down they were just scared, you know, and it shifted. It really did. And I remember it was almost like I got so high that it took me a while to be able to come back and be like a regular human. So and so like more. So, I mean, I didn't really have a lot of friends. It was just me and Sal. We came back from India and we we're just staying at my parents' house at the beach, just practicing, riding bikes and chanting and just doing that because we saw so much, but it wasn't here in the West. And at that mm -hmm. time, I started to contemplate if I needed to become a nun because I was like, oh, it's that or it's this old wife. And I didn't know that there's a way to be in this middle way where we live now. And yeah, I remember having all these thoughts and these ideas and I, and I was like, where is this coming from? It was like something new unlocked within me that I was like, oh, I guess I am truly wise. You know, I guess I, I mean, I didn't yeah. finish college. You know, I didn't do the typical be intelligent sort of things. So for a long time, I felt, oh, maybe I'm not, I'm not intelligent enough. And then I uncovered this sense of wisdom that I was like, oh, fuck, maybe, I, maybe that is really who I am. And it was kind of hard to grasp those two extremes for a long time. It was, you know, and it's still here. You know, it's still, the, it's still a dance that I'm dancing with that sometimes I feel like I see and I feel so much. And then I come back to being a human in this body and it's like, okay, come back. It's like, I go and I'm like this old wise woman. And then I come back, I'm still this little girl on her training <laughs> wheels. So it's a, it's I feel a you. I feel you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know you do. I know you do. Yeah. So beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. Thank you, my love. What a wonderful question. Mm. <sighs> well, where can where can we find you? Where, where can people connect? Where can we find Moon? You can find Moon on Instagram. It's definitely like a big place that I share often. Um at Moon de Simone, M-O-U-N-D-S-I-M-O-N-E. And it's the same website. I'm sure you are going to add all of that. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a few exciting things happening for 2023. A new group mentorship that will start at the end of January. Three months, all women. Very excited. I'm actually launching the details today. So I'm excited for this yeah. to be out and all of that. Um, yeah. Very excited about this one. A lot around leading from a place of love. You know, love and leadership. Um, not only if you lead something physically, but as a leader in your own inner world, in your own life. And I'm finding 
there's so many of us already to take that step. And I, I've created this little map that I'm very, very excited to share. And I'm also opening spots for one-on-one mentorship for 2023 as well. Um, that's what I have for now. There will be retreats for next year, but all of that will be on the website as well. Thank you, Amazing. my love. Yeah. Thank you. Connect with Moon. Work with Moon. She's goddess, magic, <laughs> power. Thank you, my love. A mirror, ah. a mirror. Just a little yes. mirror for you. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate you so much. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Oh, it's been wonderful. Thank you, my love. Thank you for having me. It was an honor. Yes, honored to have you. And thanks everyone for tuning in and hanging out with us. Have a beautiful day. I'm Christina Ray, and you've been listening to the Power for Good podcast. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. And join me next week for another powerful conversation. Share a story of how you are using your power for good by sending me a DM on my Instagram at Christina Ray Almeida. I'll be sharing your stories at the end of every episode weekly. If you're interested in learning more on how we can work together, head to my website, IamChristinaRay.com and let's connect. Sending you so much love and remember, you are powerful. powerful.